Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Todd Curtis. On November 4th, 2015, I had a conversation with ABC Radio of Australia, where we discussed some of the recent developments in the investigation of the crash of an A321 jet from MetroJet Airlines in Sinai, Egypt. Specifically, the U.S. and the U.K. governments both imply that they believe that a bomb took out the aircraft. Um, this is a story that has uh, gained uh, enormous traction over the last uh, 24 hours. The um, downed Russian Airbus, which uh, pretty unclear how what exactly has happened, but uh, there are reports overnight in uh, the US media that it's most likely an explosive device caused the crash. And the British government has met in the last couple of hours and has announced that they have halted all flights between Britain and the airport in Egypt from which that flight originated. It's called Sharm el-Sheikh. And they've also acknowledged there is a significant possibility that the crash was caused by an explosive device on the aircraft. So it's the same line that's coming out of the United States. Here's the UK Foreign Secretary. His name is Philip Hammond. Uh, This evening, the Prime Minister has chaired another COBRA meeting, uh, which we've reviewed all the information that we have available from a range of sources concerning the Russian aircraft crash in Sinai at the weekend. Uh, As a result of that review, uh, we have concluded that there is a significant possibility that that crash was caused by an explosive device on board the aircraft. Earlier this evening, we delayed the return to the UK of British-bound flights that were on the ground at Sharm el-Sheikh while we conducted a review of security at the airport. Uh, We have people on the ground working with the Egyptians, and I'd like to pay tribute to the Egyptian authorities who have been extremely cooperative throughout the day and have uh, moved heaven and earth to meet our demands on the ground. But unfortunately, and very reluctantly this evening, we have concluded uh, that we have to change our travel advice uh, and we are now advising against all but essential travel by air through Sharm el-Sheikh Airport. That means that there will be no UK passenger flights out to Sharm el-Sheikh from now. Passengers who are on the ground in Sharm el-Sheikh will be returned to the UK. We're working with the airlines and the Egyptian authorities to put in place Uh, emergency procedures for additional screening and additional security to ensure that they can get home safely, either on their original scheduled return dates or if they wish to leave earlier uh, on an earlier date. Although I should emphasise that we are not changing our advice with regard to the threat level in the Sharm el-Sheikh resort itself. I recognise that uh, this action will cause Uh, immense disruption and inconvenience to many people uh, and I apologise to the people uh, this evening who've gone out to the airport and then have had to go back to their hotels. I also recognise the immense uh, impact that this will have on the Egyptian economy. But we have to put the safety and security of British nationals above all other considerations. When we are in possession of information, we will not hesitate to act on it in order to protect that security. And we will take uh, whatever criticisms we receive. We have to act in the interests of British nationals. Pretty strong language there from Philip Hammond, who's the Foreign Secretary in the United Kingdom. Well, with me now is Todd Curtis, who's a former Boeing safety engineer and the head of airsafe.com, which provides information on airline safety and security to, to the public. Todd, welcome to the program. Nice to talk with you. Well, uh, thanks uh, for having me. 
Uh, Todd, the British government, um, how conservative a position is it taking here with blocking flights or stopping flights into that airport, Sharm el-Sheikh? Is it, is it erring on the side of caution or is this a reasonable step to take in the circumstances? I believe it's a combination of the two. Uh, given that there are a lot of unknowns about what happens to the aircraft, some security precautions, just as a, uh, an extra level of uh, precaution would be, would be uh, worthwhile. But what the U.S. and U.K. government have stated, officially and unofficially today, takes it up a notch. There seems to be, at least uh, to them, clear evidence that this was a deliberate act. Okay. So who was who this uh, attack aimed at? Uh, in the sense of uh, politically, in terms of the individuals, but also politically. What was the point, do you think, has been that, that is being made here? Well, assuming that there was an attack, it's hard to say who the target may have been, because there are several parties who have been in the uh, Sinai region for quite a few years, some who are now aligned with ISIS, but before ISIS they were aligned with other groups, who would have been against the interest of perhaps the Egyptian government, perhaps the U.S. government, perhaps any government, that seemed to be an outside influence to events in the Middle East. Okay. Well, what do you think happened uh, in terms of from the information that you've got, Todd Curtis? What do you think happened uh, to the aircraft? Well, regardless of whether it was a bomb or not a bomb, what happened was a very catastrophic event that was of sudden onset, where there was very little uh, pre precursor events happening before this. This was not a situation where systems were failing or the crew had some sort of idea what was going on. Yeah. Within 20 seconds time, it went from a normal flight to an aircraft plummeting toward the ground and losing contact with the world. Okay, but Todd, if that wasn't, uh, if there wasn't an explosive device, mechanically, um, electrically, what could it have been? A catastrophic, a catastrophic event of that, of that type. I'm a pilot, you know, like a private pilot, and, and I, I can't for the life of me think what an event like that would be, except for something absolutely unheard of, like a wing falling off. Well, there are several catastrophic events that could happen during cruise that may not be due, due to a bomb. There could have been an out, uh, some sort of weather anomaly that they encountered, okay. which is unlikely. There didn't seem to be any weather issues going on. A mid-air collision with another aircraft, or strangely enough, even with a bird. There have been bird strikes at altitudes above where this aircraft uh, was lost. Uh, that's definitely a possibility. There could have been another system failure that was sudden and catastrophic, for example, an uncontained engine failure that led to several systems being taken out of service. Okay. All right. Todd Curtis is my guest. He's the head of airsafe.com. He uh, provides advice on, on security and airline safety to members of the public. And just on this security issue, Todd, uh, at, at the airport, Sharm el-Sheikh, uh, which is a, a resort airport, what do we know about the security profile there? I'm sure it's very different to Sydney Airport or Perth Airport or LAX, for example. What's well, quite different. It's nowhere near as busy as any of the airports you just mentioned. And Sharm el-Sheikh is a large resort area, so there are a lot of luxury hotels and other uh, holiday uh, facilities there. So it's a very popular destination for Europe and obviously uh, for Russia. But like with uh, any other airport, the same kinds of risk exist. That is, the airport has to be serviced by hundreds, maybe thousands of uh, ground personnel, any one of whom could be a security risk. And what's not known, at least to me, is what sort of security protocols were in place to vet those people who would be close to the airplane, the mechanics, the baggage handlers, the fuelers, even the security personnel. For example, aircraft could be there overnight. And it's unclear to me how well protected these aircraft are during off hours. Uh, how, what do you think about the contagion effect here, Todd? I mean, the fact that uh, flights have been 
stopped going into this particular airport. Do you see that spreading to other parts around Egypt and perhaps other parts of the Middle East? It's unclear if this is a wider problem. Uh, obviously, uh, there's a concern with Sharm el-Sheikh. There is, at, at, at present, no larger concern that this is some sort of a coordinated uh, effort to attack tourism and aviation throughout the region. Uh, certainly, there are other airports in the region that have had uh, security threats in the past, and they may have them in the future. But at least for now, there's nothing officially or unofficially coming out of the U.K. or, UK gov- or U.S. government indicating that this is a wider problem. Okay. And, um, okay, well, what, uh, what about the, uh, the black boxes? Um, uh, do we, have, have they been safely recovered, and where will they be opened and analyzed? They have both been recovered. And uh, the answer to that question is not quite clear to me. I was looking closely at announcements from both the Russian and the Egyptian authorities to see exactly who has possession of them and who's looking at them. The Egyptians, as is the case under internationally accepted protocols, are still in charge of the investigation and they will be reviewing the data. Whether they'll be doing that in Cairo or in Moscow or St. Petersburg, I'm not in- entirely sure at this point. But one thing is certain, both boxes were recovered. The initial reports were that the flight data recorder was intact and the data was good and is being read out. There was some damage to the cockpit voice recorder, and it's unclear whether or not a full set of data will be available from that. Okay. Uh, of course, Toulouse is where the aircraft, I think, would have been manufactured. And when Air- Airbus aircraft uh, crash, the black boxes typically go back to back, back to headquarters where the Airbus engineers are, are best at interpreting the data. It sounds like there's a pretty low chance of that happening. Well, in a typical event, which this is not typical a typical event, if it were under the control of one of the countries with an established air safety uh, infrastructure, for example, Australia, Canada, UK, US, it would be analyzed there. But in a case where it is uh, in another country, very often a country that doesn't have that level of facility will allow another country, in this case uh, France, if it's an Airbus aircraft, to analyze the data. But this is a situation where you have several parties who were involved officially, including the Russians, the Irish, where the aircraft was registered, the uh, French authorities, as well as U.S. authorities, because the engine was manufactured in part by the U.S. So there are several interests at work here. And who does what at what part of the investigation? That's being worked out as we speak. Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, Thank you so much for your time and for your insights. I very much appreciate it. Well, thanks again for having me. Cheerio. That's Todd Curtis there, who is the head of airsafe.com. For more information on this crash, please visit metrojet.airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.